0: Thank you all for being here. Have a seat. Life kids, you all enjoy. This morning we are going to give you all of our Halloween candy because Pastor Blake has no self-control. And I will inevitably commit the sin of gluttony at about 11.30 every night as I eat as many Reese's as I can find. So you all take it, you all eat it. Church, how are we today? Amen. We good? Yes. We're excited. We get to baptize. Amen? Amen. We get to proclaim the newness of life in a young man, nine years old. And I'll tell you, if you're old enough to understand that you're a sinner and that you need Jesus, and if you're old enough to know that Jesus died and rose again for you, we believe you're old enough to be made new in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, let the children come to me. We don't believe that he was speaking figuratively. We believe that he was speaking literally. He desires that children be brought to him so that he can make them new. They need it just like we do. Amen? So good to see you all today. A lot of fresh faces in the room. A lot of family, I understand, that's going to be here for Mr. Keaton's baptism. We want to welcome you to Eastland Life Church. I'll go ahead and warn you, we're a little different. We're a little different. This may not be like every church you've ever been to, but I'll tell you this, we love the Lord and we love His Word, and I'm excited to get to preach it to you today. We are in a series about 3D life recovery. This is a new recovery ministry Pastor Brian shared with us this morning. Our church is kicking off a new recovery ministry for the community of Metropolis here at Easton Life Church because we believe that God's love and God's forgiveness needs to spread out to this community. We don't believe that it should stay in these walls. We believe it needs to go out. We believe that Metropolis needs it. Amen? Amen. And the idea of 3D, you might wonder, why is it called 3D life recovery? It's called that because the 3D stand for this, decision, discipline, and destination. This is from the book of Daniel. Daniel was a young man taken into captivity, taken away from his family, taken away from his church, taken away from his people into a culture that did not worship God like his people did. Does that remind you of our culture today? But the Bible says in the book of Daniel that as a young man, he made a decision in his heart that he would not defile himself by consuming what the culture was feeding to him. He made the decision, the Bible says that he was disciplined to make the decisions that would lead him to the destination that God had for him. Those are the three D's. And today we want to talk to you about forgiveness in 3D. And I love the idea of 3D because obviously it's got a biblical basis, but Also, we can all sort of relate to 3D. How many of you have ever seen a 3D movie before? 3D movies is kind of a fad that started back in the 50s. Back in the 1950s, Brian, as a young man, saw his first 3D movie, and he's been in love with 3D ever since. i got to take one shot at him, at least. That's one. I get three. That's one. The idea of 3D is interesting because... For about 50 years, as movies had been coming out, they were getting cooler and cooler. You got sound, you got color, now you got 3D. You can actually see it in three dimensions. And any of you that have ever seen a movie that was filmed in 3D, you remember that it was never good enough that the movie was filmed in 3D, but they had to really cheese it up by always poking stuff out at you from the screen, right? Because that's what made it cool. Man, it looks like it's coming right towards me. It looks like it's in the theater with me. And I love the idea of that. Because when I look at the church in America, I believe there are many people who call ourselves Christians, yet we live a two-dimensional Christian lifestyle, where the words that we hear and the forgiveness that we've received from Jesus Christ, and let me tell you the good news about the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Jesus loves me, and Jesus died for me, and Jesus loves you, and he died for you, and he did that so that you could be forgiven of all your sins, past Present and future that would keep you from getting to Jesus. He didn't leave you in your mess and He didn't leave me in our mess. He came down into this world, three dimensions. He didn't exist as an idea, He didn't simply live as an example. He died in our place and He rose again from the grave so that you and I can experience true forgiveness. And we can have joy today because we know that even if we blow it tomorrow, we still have a Savior who's going to be there to pick us up and put us back in our place. Amen? And he does it lovingly. It's good news. It's news that we can be happy about this morning. But many people say that they believe that in their heads. Yes, I believe Jesus died. Yes, I believe he's Lord. Yes, I believe he rose again. Yes, I accept and I receive his forgiveness for me. And church, I've seen this before. And I'll confess to you, I've lived like this before. Yes, I receive forgiveness. Jesus, thank you for forgiving all of my sins. Thank you that I can live without the burden of guilt and the burden of debt of sin on my shoulders. But yet when somebody offends me, that forgiveness that I've received doesn't really extend out beyond the screen of my life, if you will. It can be very two-dimensional if we're not careful. Y'all with me? You see, the idea of 3D forgiveness is that the forgiveness that we receive from Jesus would not simply be a gift that we receive. It would be a gift that we receive and then extend out into the life of other people who need it. And you may say, well, those people don't deserve it. Well, neither did I. And neither did you. You may say, what if they're not asking for it? Church, the Bible doesn't say that when you and I got our act together and started seeking after God and when you and I got it figured out and did our best to be good people then Jesus came and died for us when does it say Jesus died for us while we were sinners Jesus hung on the cross and as they mocked him as they spat on him As they pierced his side, as they gambled for his clothes while his mother wept at his gruesome death, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Church, on the eve of election year, the one that I'm being told is the most important in our lifetime, understand that this Wednesday there are going to be a lot of angry people. And their hope rests in a world system that has failed them, regardless of which side of the aisle you may find yourself on. Church, our community and the people on your Facebook feed and the people in our family and those close to us and those who are not close to us, they need a hope that extends beyond the screen of their life into their world that can reach them where they are. Whether they're asking for it or looking for it or not, it's our responsibility to live that out for them in three dimensions. Amen? In And this morning... I want to talk to you about the idea of forgiveness in 3D. I want to go to the scripture, and I want to talk to you about forgiveness, and I want to talk to you this morning about how forgiveness relates to our recovery and to our growth as Christians. If you're a Christian in the room this morning, say amen. Amen. We need to receive forgiveness, but we also need to practice it. Amen. We did not receive it so that we can hang on to it. We received it so we can give it just as freely as Jesus did. When Jesus was ministering on earth, he was walking with his disciples. And one day his disciples, his followers, they came to him. And they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And that was a smart thing to ask because if anybody knows how to pray, it's the God we pray to. Amen? And that's who Jesus was, the only begotten son of God. They said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And Jesus says, if you're going to pray, when you pray... Pray like this, and he gave us an example, and I bet some of you have this memorized. If you have memorized this, or if you just want to read it on the screen, you can say it with me. He said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father, who art in heaven, you can tell I learned it in the King James, can't you? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and let's stop for a second. Because to this point, this makes a lot of sense. When we pray, we start by worshiping God. We worship Him. We don't open up by saying, Good morning, Jesus. Here's my list. We open up by saying, Good morning, Jesus. It's a new day and you are good. And this is the day you've made. And you are good to me. Regardless of what I'm going through, you've been merciful to me. We open up with worship. Then we open up with His will. Because when we pray, once again, it's not just about my list. Jesus has a list for my life. And I want to open up by saying, Jesus, there's things I'm focused on. But this morning, I want you to know, Jesus, that it's not about my kingdom coming in this world. It's about your kingdom coming and your will being done. So when we open up in prayer, God, you're good. God, what is it you want today? What do you want out of my life? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we want your will on this earth. Then we say, give us this day our daily bread. We say, God, there's things I need. And we know that you're going to meet those needs, but God wants us to ask him to continue to meet those needs. So we do. We present our list. We present our needs to God. We say, God, these are the things that I'm concerned about. And so far, this prayer makes perfect sense to me. If I had the responsibility of writing the Bible, thank goodness I don't, but if I had the responsibility of writing the Bible myself, I'd probably say, hey, pray like this. Worship God, his will, his kingdom, then what I want, then God provide for me. And I'd probably leave it right there. But then Jesus said something revolutionary. Jesus said something controversial. And Jesus said something that I think many of us skip over when we read this model prayer. He says, when we pray, we pray that God would forgive us like this. Forgive our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Do you see it? Now, if you and I were writing this prayer, we'd write it like this. Jesus, forgive me. And forgive everybody else too. Jesus, forgive me in such a way that I would be clean and I would be completely forgiven. Jesus, forgive me so that I can be free. And God, all those sinful, terrible people out there who disagree with me, and all those people who have hurt me, and God, that person who damaged me, God, forgive them too. But notice he doesn't say to pray like that. He says that when we approach God and we ask Him to forgive us of our many, many sins, we pray like this. God, forgive me in the same way that I forgive those that I'm mad at. God, forgive me in the same way that I forgive those who I disagree with. God, forgive me to the level that I extend that forgiveness to other people. You see, in this model prayer, Jesus built in a limitation And the limitation is this. We experience God's forgiveness to the level that we extend it to other people. We experience God's forgiveness to the level that we extend it to other people. There is a bottleneck, if you will, in the Christian life. You say, well, doesn't Jesus want to give me the abundant life? Absolutely he does. But if you can't open your arms to receive it, he's not going to pry them open and make you. If we want to hang on to the hurt, he gives us the ability to do that. Church, I believe in America today, there's a lot of Christians and a lot of churches full of people that we want to receive absolute forgiveness of everything past, present, and future. But don't tell me how I'm supposed to feel about those people and about the people who hurt me. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 15, just in case you think maybe, well, Pastor Blake, I think you're Interpreting the model prayer maybe a little too literally. I think maybe you're driving that point a little too far. Jesus would never forgive us in that way. Look at what he says in Matthew 6.15. Jesus says, if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive yours. And now it's real. Now all of a sudden, the free gift of grace and the free gift of forgiveness that comes from Jesus Christ comes with an expectation. Expectation. Church, do we want to be forgiven of every sin? Is there anybody in here who would gladly go before God this morning and say, God, thank goodness most of my sins are forgiven. There's a few I'm hanging on to, but most of them you've forgiven. Nobody would want to face God with that plan. Nobody would want to go go before God and say, God, there's some things I withheld from you, but most of the things I handed over to you. All of us want to go before God and be free, amen? Amen. The Bible says it's for freedom that we've been set free. Church, I can only worship this morning if I am sure in my head and in my heart that Jesus has completely forgiven every sin. If I've got to carry even a little bit of it, I'm dirty. If I've got to carry even a little bit of it, I can't come before God because I can't be in his presence. I can worship this morning because I've received complete forgiveness. No matter how bad I've screwed it up, I can always go to him as a loving father. But he tells us, if you want that, if you want that freedom, and you want that forgiveness, we must ask ourselves, are you ready to extend it outward to other people who don't deserve it, just like you didn't deserve it when you got it? That's the model. And in this, in this verse, we see it. And what I want to talk to you this morning is about anger. And I want to talk to you about unforgiveness and what it does to us. I want to show you something else, though, in the model prayer. If we can go back to that scripture one more time, just a couple of slides back. I want to show you something else that I never noticed in the scripture until this week as I was preparing this message. I'll confess to you, this message is actually a little old. I've preached a variation of this message a couple of times in the past, so if you've been around our church for several years and you get deja vu, I don't blame you because I've preached this message before, okay? But not exactly like this. Not in the context of recovery, and that's what I'm excited about this morning. I noticed something in the scripture. In the model prayer, it says, Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And then right after he says that, Forgive us as we forgive others. Then he says, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, how many of us want God to keep us away from the temptation of this world? Is that what we want? And if you've struggled in recovery before, Whether it be addiction to a substance, addiction to a behavior, addiction to a pattern, addiction to unhealthy relationships, addiction to thought patterns that you know are wrong but you simply can't let them go, whatever it is that we struggle in recovery with, all of us would say this, that God, I want you to help me get away from this. God, lead me in the opposite direction of these thoughts that I keep having. Lead me in the opposite direction of these behaviors, of these people, of these things that are weighing me down and keeping me from reaching the destination that you have given to me. It's interesting to me that in this model prayer, right up against forgiveness and how we forgive others, right next to it, he puts, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Almost as if there is a connection between temptation and forgiveness. Almost as if there is a close connection between forgiveness and the temptations that we face every day. It's almost as if the things that we hang on to can be triggering the very temptations that we find. Now the good news is, is that today, once we understand that, we can do something with it. But first, got to understand how to recognize it. I want to talk to you about anger. Anger is the emotion that underrides unforgiveness. Anger is the emotion behind unforgiveness. Now, I want to talk to you this morning about what the Bible has to say about anger. Because in the English language, we have one word for anger. Y'all know what that word is? Anger. That's what we call it. Anger. Open book tests. In the English, we just call it anger. And when the Bible talks about anger... In the Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in, we always just interpret it, anger. Anger is anger. You ever been mad? You ever stayed mad? That's angry. That's how we see it. But in the Bible, there are two different Greek words that describe anger in the New Testament. I want to show those to you today because they are different, and I think it's important that we distinguish these. The first word that you see on the screen, if you can read that, you're a Greek scholar, that is the word orgidzo. That is one of the Greek words for anger. It is used pretty consistently talking about anger in the New Testament. You may be familiar with one of these scriptures. You could probably quote it with me. Because what we do is we convince ourselves that it's good to be angry when anger is warranted. We convince ourselves that we have a right to be angry and we should be angry and we should hold on to that anger. And we use a scripture out of Ephesians chapter 4 that says this, be angry and don't sin. Y'all know that one? It's okay to be angry as long as you don't sin. Get angry, but just don't let it lead you into sin. We often don't see the second half of the verse, which says, don't let the sun go down on that anger. So it's okay to be angry. Don't let it lead you into sin. But just as importantly as not sinning is not hanging on to it. Whatever it is that makes you angry, get angry, don't sin, and then put it somewhere else. Don't carry it with you. Let it go. The Greek word in this verse is orgidzo. Orgidzo is the type of anger that springs up emotionally. It's the type of anger that springs up quickly and emotionally. It's not a descriptor of who we are, it's a descriptor of what we feel. You with me? This is the type of anger that we feel whenever you're trying to pull out onto 45 in Metropolis and the cars are spaced just far enough that you don't have room to pull out but you also don't have enough time to pull out. But yet you see all this space and you just say to yourself, how is it that the entire universe has collided in such a way that every car in Metropolis would be exactly 15 yards apart and I don't have enough space to get in, so I just got to sit here and watch it? Isn't this incredible? Everybody made the decision, we don't want Blake pulling out a Dairy Queen today, so we're just going to sit here 15 yards apart. We're not going to speed up. We're not going to slow down, and it lasts for like 10 minutes. The anger that you feel when that happens is orgizo anger. It doesn't describe who I am. I'm just looking at something in two dimensions and going, hey, what I see, man, this makes me angry. Some of us experience this. we got Thanksgiving coming up. And all of us have that relative. Maybe they're here today, so don't elbow them, okay? All of us have that one relative that as soon as they bring up the topic you hope they don't bring up, you just want to leave the room because you know you're going to get angry. Some of us experience this when we're unwinding and we pull out our phone and we start to do the scroll. And we start to read what we see and Facebook feeds us all this information And Twitter feeds us all this information. I don't know how Instagram and TikTok work, so I'm going to stick with Facebook and Twitter because I'm in my mid-30s now. And we scroll it, and we just sit there and we go, how can people think like this? I can't believe people believe this is true. I can't believe they're voting for this guy. I can't believe this is their worldview. I can't believe this is how the world is. I can't believe this is the direction we're headed. And we scroll, and we drink it in, and we just get angry. You with me? The type of anger we feel in that moment is orgidzo anger. And the Bible says having that anger in itself is not sinful, but when we have it, we can't get into the place of sin and we should not hang on to it. Get it resolved. Give it to God before you go to bed at night. Because if you hang on to it, it ceases to simply become how we feel and it starts to become who we are. And that's the second type of anger. second type of anger is called orge. Orgay anger is a type of anger that is not simply rooted in an emotion that springs up seemingly out of nowhere. This is an anger that has come to define who we are as a person. The idea of this anger is illustrated, if you look up this Greek word, use a a website called Blue Letter Bible, it's amazing, it will show you every English, every Greek word in the Bible, every Hebrew word, it will give you the meaning, it will show you every other times it's used, it's fascinating, it's a great study tool. Every time this word is used, it is a character describing anger. Somebody who is feeling this type of anger doesn't simply feel it. It's really who they are. It is characterized as a fire that has burned for a long time, and now the flames have kind of died down. But if you've ever grilled with a charcoal grill or you've ever made like a real big bonfire or campfire, long after the flames have died, hours after you've left the fire, have you ever gone back and noticed that the coals still just sit there hot? And they just burn. They burn white hot. And it'll burn for hours. Long after all of the fuel has been burned away, the fire just continues to smolder. And it's hot. It's described in such a way like fruit as it grows on a tree. You want to get that apple right when it's ripe. Because if it stays on the tree for too long and it continues to swell with juice, what happens to it? It gets nasty and it gets mushy really, really quick. You can have too much of this. It can grow to poison you. The fire of anger that burns within us can get so hot that it will begin to burn up everything that we try to put into our life, which really characterizes why many of us live in an unhealthy cycle of ruining every good thing that comes to us. Because there is a non-quenching fire in our life that simply burns everything away. It's part of our character. This anger is never used in the Bible to positively describe a person. This is anger that you and I are told in the Word of God is not anger that should describe us. This is not something that we are justified in having or in becoming. This is something the Bible says this is not for you. In the book of James, Jesus' brother James writes this. He says in James 1.19, he says, Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak. I'm already screwed up at this point. Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. The word is orge. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become the type of person that hangs on to everybody else's problems and transgressions, and it poisons you. And it becomes part of your character. And he says, the reason you don't want to be like this is because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. This type of anger does not produce the righteousness of God. But that's not what we tell ourselves, is it? See, when we, day after day and week after week, dwell on what has happened to us, some of us in the room, let's just say it this way. I want to divide up the room a little bit. All y'all look great from up here. But behind the faces this morning, some of us have been on the receiving end of something incredibly hard and incredibly painful. You with me? And immediately your mind went to that thing. Most of us in the room have had events that have happened to us. Maybe they were done directly by another person or people, or maybe it was merely circumstances that landed on your doorstep that you've had to deal with. Most or all of us have been on the receiving end of incredible pain and incredible hurt. And one of the most important things in our life that we can do is handle that in a healthy way. Amen? Because if we don't, what happened to us days, months, weeks, or years ago can come to not only hurt us in the past, but it continues to hurt us and damage us today in the present. There are people in the room today hearing my voice, you have never gotten over that thing that happened. You've never moved past it, and you are stuck dealing with it today just like you were dealing with it then. It has come to define you you are hanging on to it maybe you're not outwardly angry but on the inside that fire still burning I'll never forget it never get over it, I'll never understand it and even today I can't make decisions I can't be in relationships I can't live a healthy life because since that happened that fire just still burns and it's unquenched, it's part of who I am now some of us and I would say this is the minority. Some of us in the room today are on the other end. We would say, you know what? Actually, praise God, I have never been sexually abused. Praise God, I never went through a divorce. Praise God, both my parents are still together. Praise God, I've always been blessed with a pretty decent job. And praise God, life has always gone pretty good. Now, I would say that's the minority. Because most of you are looking around going, man, where's that person? I want to be, be on their team. But if you're in the room today and you say, you know what? The bad thing happened, but I'm good. I don't need help. Or, you know what? Things have actually gone pretty well and it's been pretty easy and I'm not really stressed out and worried and angry about anything. Let me offer you this. 3D life recovery and 3D forgiveness is not simply for the drug addict who was hurt as a child. 3D life recovery is for the Christian who has a destination in mind, but despite your best efforts, we can never have the discipline to achieve the destination. You say, "Well, wait a minute. What's that got to do with anger, with hurts, habits, with hang-ups, with addictions? What's, what's that got to do with it?" You're not talking about me. Listen, if your life is not exactly where you know God wants it to be, and you know how to get there, you know what your problem is. I've got a terrible prayer life. I don't have good relationships. I'm not consistent in church. I'm not giving financially. I don't participate in ministry. I know the disciplines I need so that God will take me to where I need to go, but I simply can't get there, and I can't get there because there is this stuff in the way. It's behaviors, it's career, it's family, it's relationships, it's hobbies. Whatever it is, you know what you should be doing, but you have never been able to get there. Let me submit to you today, you need help just as much as the addict living on the streets. Maybe not for the same reasons. Maybe your addictions are not outwardly damaging like those, but inwardly you have been frustrated and you have been struggling with life and with where God has you, and you're just looking for God to give you the magic formula. This morning I submit to you, when we confess our sins to God, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. You need it and I need it just as bad as the addict in the trash can looking for needles needs it. You say, I'm not as bad as them. Hey, before the righteousness of Jesus Christ, all of us need help. We all need Jesus. So this is for you today. Whether you're the struggling Christian or whether you're the broken and hurting person, this is for you. So the Bible says, that we must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. We don't become people who hang on to this anger and unforgiveness like this because of what it does to us. We know, the Bible says in James 1.19, this anger does not produce the righteousness of God. We all agree with that. Amen? So let's just ask ourselves the question, if it doesn't produce the righteousness of God, what does it produce? What does it produce? I want to put a picture on the screen for you. And we're going to get into the recovery aspect a little bit. You've probably seen some example of this, especially if you've ever worked in recovery ministry or you've ever been part of a program. This is the cycle of addiction. This is the cycle of addiction. It starts with an emotional trigger. Let me ask you something. Think about your life. When you think back to the pain, when you think back to the event, is it an emotional trigger for you? Are you able to talk about it with a clear head and a clear heart? Or is it something that's still very much three dimensions for you? When you think back to what has happened and to what you've dealt with, is it an emotional trigger for you? For some of us, it still is. And when we are triggered emotionally, we are creatures that have to do something with that emotional trigger. We don't get to be just objective and stand back and say, you know what, when that person did that to me, that really, really hurt me, and that was wrong, and that was terrible, but I'm just going to choose not to deal with it. And it's not going to affect me at all, and I'm just going to walk away from it, and it's not going to impact me, it's not going to change how I feel, not going to change how I act, not going to change how I think. We don't get to do that because we are emotional creatures. And when emotional creatures get emotionally triggered, it produces within us a craving. It produces within us a craving. Now, the question for you is, what is it that you crave? For some of us, it's easy. Man, when I, when I get triggered, I crave drugs. I crave alcohol. I crave pornography. Those are addictions that we can say, oh, man, that's my problem, that's my craving. But for some of us, it's a little more subtle, a little more Christian, if you will. For some of us, it's just that unhealthy stuff that we consume, that we know is hurting us. Some of us scroll the Facebook, I called it the Facebook, now I'm in my mid-50s, alright, I just jumped up 20 years. Some of us scroll on the social media, and it makes us angry, and we know before we do it that it's going to make us angry. One of my mentors, God bless him, I love him, I posted something on Facebook a while back, and we were talking, I said, Hey, did you see that thing on Facebook? And he said, No, I didn't see it. I said, Well, what happens? you unfriend me? He said, Yeah. He said, well, I didn't unfriend you, I just unfollowed you. I was like, oh, well, that's still offensive, but at least we're still friends. I said, why'd you unfollow me? He said, I unfollowed everybody. I said, then what is your fan? It, it wasn't Brian Comer, but it sounds like we got some. <laughs> I think Brian still follows me. I'm not sure. I said, well, what do you have Facebook for? He says, because I like to buy and sell stuff on Marketplace. I say, okay, I get it. So, so I was like, I'm curious, what does your news feed look like? And he says, it's gloriously blank. There's nothing there. You can't scroll it. I said, why did you do that? He said, because when I would scroll that thing, I would get mad, and I did not have the discipline to stop scrolling it. And I just felt mad when I walked away from it. And church, some of us today, we will go to that stuff, and we know how it's going to make us feel, and we know it's unhealthy, and we know it's a waste of time, but we just keep consuming it. You know why? Because we're triggered, and we crave it. We crave it. You say, is it normal to crave things that are unhealthy for you? You go home to your kid's Halloween candy stash and you tell yourself it's not normal. normal. Of course it is. This is who we are. We crave this stuff. For some of us, it's relationships. Why is it that every relationship I'm in Goes down in a giant ball of flames. Maybe it's because in your emotional state that you don't recognize you are craving negative attention that you will only get from negative people in negative context. So you will subconsciously seek them out and create them so that you can satisfy that craving. You say, that's sick, that's crazy. Absolutely it is. It's called being human. We all do it. We have emotional triggers, we crave, and then we move into our activity. And in that activity, we achieve temporary relief. For a moment, it feels better. For a moment, we're satisfied. But then the Holy Spirit kicks in and he says, hey, you know that's wrong. You know you shouldn't have done that. You know you shouldn't be doing that. You know that's unhealthy. You know that's not wise. You know the destination I've got for you and that this discipline will never get you to that destination. The Holy Spirit always kicks in, doesn't he? And he'll always tell us, you know that's not right for you. What are you doing that for? So, what do we get from that? Gosh, guilt. And we say, God, I never want to do that again. God, lead me not into temptation, deliver me from evil. God, I never want to face that again. I never want to go to that again. We feel guilt, regret, we feel shame, which, by the way, are the underlying causes of anger. We feel these emotions. It's negative we hurt we don't want to live like this anymore we're sick of the crazy cycle and you know what all those emotions welling up in us does it triggers us and then we crave And then we go back to it again. And after it's over and we get that temporary relief, then we feel guilty again. And we have all these emotions and we go, man, I want to quit living like this. We sound like Paul in Romans chapter 7 when he says, my goodness, I know the goodness of God and yet all the things that I want to be doing, the disciplines that are going to get me to my destination, he says, all the things I want to do, I can't seem to do them. And all the things I keep doing, I hate it. And he says, who's going to rescue me from this body of death? And this morning I ask you, if you're living in that cycle, whether the cycle looks like substance addiction or whether it looks like something that only you know that you're battling and you've got everybody else fooled and nobody knows that you're struggling with this, but you've been on this cycle for a long time, you say, how do you get off this thing? How do you break this cycle? I'm going to tell you this morning how to break it, but here's going to be my challenge before we do it. If God gives us the answer, before we know the answer, can we just commit to responding appropriately? Man, what a tragedy it is when God comes to us in our sin and in our failure and in our hurt and in our regret and in our shame, and God meets us where we are, and God extends out the hand and says, I'm right here, take it. And we say, that may be the only way, but that's not the way I'm going. What a tragedy that is. I don't know if I've spoken to you this morning or not. If there's some kind of third group out there that exists that says, No, I got it all together. I got it all figured out. Please get with me after service so that we can ordain you and get you on staff and get you doing some life coaching and get you doing some preaching because truthfully, I believe most all of us live in this cycle in some form, me included. Me included. So how do we break the cycle? I'm going to give you the answer. And it's going to be so simple. You're going to be like, really, that's it? This whole, script, this whole sermon led up to this? You've been talking this long and this is the answer? Here's the answer. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, for mine and your sake, He, Jesus, became sin who knew no sin. It says, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. What does that mean? What that means is that when Jesus Christ died to forgive us, that forgiveness is so weighty and so valuable and so precious that when it comes to you and you receive it, you are given the power and the right, the Bible says, not only to be called children of God, but when you and I receive the grace and truth and the mercy that comes from Jesus Christ, We get to exchange not only all of our sin and put that on him, praise God. That's what salvation is. Everything bad that I am goes to him, and everything good in him comes to me. And now when God sees me, he doesn't see Blake Jackson, the screwed-up mess. He sees Blake Jackson saved and sanctified and cleaned up by the blood of Jesus Christ. Everything good about Jesus is true about me now today. And if you're a Christian, everything good that Jesus ever did got credited to your account. It'd be like if you had a checking account that was in the negative and you were getting charged those fees every day. You ever been there? You go five bucks under and by the third day you realize it and you're now like 400 bucks in the hole because of those overdraft fees. Imagine that's your life and you wake up tomorrow morning stressed out about it and you check your balance and you've got about $20 million in there. And you call the bank and you say, there's got to be some mistake. They said, no mistake, you've been gifted this. That's what our reality before God is today if we've received his forgiveness. Some of you in this room may have never received it. Being saved, becoming a Christian literally means that we confess what's wrong with us and we give it to Jesus. And we follow him and we say, God, I've screwed my life up. I'm a mess. You take that. And let me have your life, and you give that to me. And when you give your life to me by your Holy Spirit, who's going to come live inside me, I'm going to follow you. Whatever you say to do, I'll do it. What you say to leave behind, I'll leave it behind. That's what salvation is. And some of us have received it today, but it's flat and it's two dimensional. And we go, Well, I've been saved. I did that, I got got the forgiveness, I got the baptism, I got the certificate, I'm a church member, I tithe, I do all this stuff. Why is it I still live in that negative, poisonous cycle? The answer may be that what you have received, you have not given out. You see, when Jesus saves us to that extent that I'm talking about, not only can he take what's broken about me, he can also take and wants to take and is asking you to give him today the brokenness that came to you that was not from you. The pain that was done to you, the hurt that you experienced, the loss that you've lived through, those things that weigh on your mind every day that to this day are still emotional triggers for you that you've never quite figured out, never quite gotten over, never quite moved past or grown past. Jesus says, hey, not only can I take your sin, I can take that too. How would you feel if I took that too? And what a tragedy it is when we look back at God and say, you can have my sin, but I'm keeping that. You can have my failures, but I'm keeping that. And it poisons us from the inside. It is like walking around with an elephant on your shoulders. And you wonder why you can't get to where you need to go. It's because you were never meant to carry the burden you're carrying. You were never meant to live that way. That is not the abundant life. That is not what God has for you. This morning, here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to take the hurt to take the anger, whether it be one big thing or a bunch of little things or all of it combined. This morning, let's exchange it for what Jesus has for us. You see, forgiving others does not excuse their sin. Now, some of you all are thinking about this, and I think about some people in our church. I think about people who have been sexually abused by family members. I think about people who have been robbed. I think about people who have had things stolen from them. I think about people who have been betrayed by their spouses, betrayed by their children, children who have been betrayed by their parents. I think about some of these big things, and I think, man, I pray this morning that when I preach this way, it doesn't come across to you that that's not a big deal. Because you see, what happens and what has happened to you excuse me, is a big deal. And what the devil wants you to believe this morning is that, all oh, these preachers, this church, God, they just want you to pretend like it never happened. They want you to act like it doesn't matter, that your pain doesn't matter, that your hurt doesn't matter, that your loss doesn't matter. They just want you to act like it's no big deal. Understand this morning that as we sit in this building... It may sound like we don't think it's a big deal and that you should be able to just flippantly walk away from it, but listen, if we could stand at the foot of the cross and look up at our Savior bleeding and dying, I think we would all recognize that whatever pain has come to me, if that's what he had to do to fix it, it's a big deal. It's a big deal what happened to you. You are not wrong for hurting. You are not wrong for being hurt. But if you really want to be right and you really want to grow and you really want to recover and live the full abundant life that jesus has for you you can give it to him see forgiving others doesn't excuse their sin he just transfers it transfers the weight of it off of me and onto jesus and the good news of jesus is that he can handle it we can't it'll weigh you down and break you but when you put it on Jesus' shoulders good news is he's already handled it doesn't weigh him down you can be free today and when we're free we break that cycle this morning I stand before you I'm almost done my dad's here today dad was here last night two different men I called dad just roll with it okay I've had I've had an interesting past and I can tell you this morning that I've been hurt by my dad there's been moments that have been painful And for years and years it defined me. And for years and years I lived with fear from it and anger from it. And I don't know when it happened. I don't know that it was ever just a decision that I woke up one day that I just said, you know what, I'm going to forgive it and I'm going to move on and I'm going to grow. I don't know that it ever happened like that. But as Jesus Christ worked out his life in me as a Christian, I came to the place where the pain that once defined me, I was able to talk about and deal with and it didn't crush me anymore. And out of that forgiveness that I received through Jesus Christ that I extended to others, can I tell you an amazing story real quick? Not only did God give me freedom from the pain and the anger and the unforgiveness of what happened to me 15 years ago, but because I was able to live free from it, I was able to go back to it and deal with it in a way that did not damage me anymore. Because all the damage went to Jesus, not to me. I didn't have to hurt for it anymore. Jesus can hurt for it. That's what the cross is for. And because I was able to go back to it, this may not be true for you. This may not be true for everybody, but I just want to tell you the story this morning. I was able to take the forgiveness that I've received from Jesus, extend it out to those who hurt me, and he forgave them too. And he saved them. And he's transformed them. And you say, well, pastor, that could never happen in my situation. I think when we say never, God is a God who laughs you don't know what God's going to do. When we receive all he is, we don't know just how abundant that life he has for us is. And I want to give you encouragement this morning. If you'll give it to him, if you'll give it to him, he'll take it and he'll make you new today.